Welcome to the Startup Help Desk. We are here to answer your questions about starting companies, building companies, and the meaning of life. All of your hosts here are experienced founders, investors, and entrepreneurs who have lived the hard life, made all the mistakes, and we're going to try to save you that same difficulty. My name is Sean Burns. I've been a founder for about 20 years, and I am very happy that today we have a special guest panelist in Leo Polovets from Sousa Ventures. Leo, tell everybody who you are and why you're so impressive. <laughs> well, I don't know about impressive, but I, I can do a quick intro. I'm excited to be here. Um, as Sean said, I'm one of the founding partners at Sousa, which is a $125 million seed stage fund. And we've had the good fortune to back uh, some early stage companies like Robinhood and Flexport and Mux and many others in the early days. And uh, before this, I was a software engineer for about 10 years. Uh, so I was one of the first hires at LinkedIn back in the early 2000s. Uh, then worked at Google and uh, another startup called Factual. And uh, so I kind of come at investing with a with an engineering perspective, and I'm excited to be here today and kind of go through all the questions that everyone else. Excellent. And our panel it has our illustrious regular hosts, the people who put up my sense of humor for no good reason, Ash and Nick. Hi, everybody. My name's Ash Rust. I'm a former founder, and now I'm a pre-seed investor based in San Francisco. Hey, this is Nick Melionis. I'm co-founder and CEO of a startup called Navi. We support innovators and startups. As always, I'm so excited to be here and be answering questions submitted from you all. So excited to get into it. Excellent. And all the questions we're going to answer today were submitted by people just like you. So if you have a question that you would like us to answer in a future episode, find us online at the Startup Help Desk. Dot com or on Twitter at the startup HD as long as Twitter is a thing, which who knows how long that will last. Today, all of our questions are about risk. And I know, I know, I know we all have lots and lots of risk and we're all dealing with it every day, but there's lots of kind of risk that we can manage. And the, the, all the questions today are around managing different kinds of risk. And hopefully in managing that risk, you can increase your chances of success. So let's jump into it. So first question up off of our queue what do I do if I think my VP of sales is looking for another job? And, you know, raise your hand if you have never felt this way. Let's jump into it. Nick, what do you think, man? How do you manage that kind of risk? This is great. I think there's two flavors that go into why this is so risky. Uh, part of it is the hit by the bus test. Uh, the other part is the existential risk that comes with somebody leaving with your book of business. And so when it comes to the hit by the bus test, the theme Our here is going to be okay with this, Nick, before you go any further. Remember, this is a family show. I know. I know. That's right. <laughs> let me see. Let me see how I can frame the hit by the bus test in a way that uh, can still be family friendly. If somebody were to leave your company and you were to never hear from them again, there's a risk, especially if there's not a well-defined process for how they manage their part of the business. And so the general theme here is if somebody were to no longer be able to support this company and they had not established a process, that's a problem. The way that you can navigate that is you've got just some simple processes established. From the sales side of things, use a CRM. Make sure you've got just a clear way to document who does what, who's responsible for what, and why. So a lot of this is just around the process side of things. The other quick note I'll make, then I'll kick it over to Leo is that ultimately there's a major risk if you've got one individual who is managing a relationship with your major customers. And so as the CEO or another executive in this company, it can be really important to make sure that you too have a relationship with these customers. So make sure that you've got a direct 
way to communicate, make sure that relationship is well established. And then lastly, uh, the key thing here is look within. If you feel as if somebody's about to leave, this is a key chance for you to investigate and actually connect with them, have an open conversation about uh, their feedback for you as a leader. I'll pause there though and kick it to Leah. Nick, is that your subtle way of saying you're about to leave the podcast? No, no way. You know, I would never. <laughs> That's right. Does he count as sure the VP we... of sales? I, I just want to make sure we can survive the hit by the bus test. That's all. This is actually Nick GPT. I know. There's if uh, if you tune into our prior episodes, Sean and Ash have certainly been hinting at that suspicion there. So we'll uh, we'll find out soon enough. <laughs> uh, Leo, you work with a lot of companies. Um, if you know one of your companies said their VP of sales is going to leave, have you seen companies that have? manage that risk well and handle it well versus we can all imagine what the worst case scenario looks like? Yeah, that's a good question. I, I think Nick had a great answer here, but um, I think one thing you want to do is, you know, you do want to investigate the signs a little bit, right? Because, you know, are you confident that they're leaving or does it really feel like they're leaving? Or you may be reading into things that are innocuous and you're just being paranoid. Um, and so as much as possible, try to actually like, what figure is your out, source of this information? Yeah. Like, like how, how like, how likely are they to be leaving? And maybe it's something you could talk to them about tactfully, or maybe even not the leaving conversation, but talk about some of the things you're perceiving and try to understand if you're perceiving them correctly. In terms of like the person leaving, I actually think that part is not too different from if you decided to let them go in terms of like, if there is a single point of failure, as Nick said, like that's a pretty dangerous place to be. And so you just want to make sure you have processes and systems in place so that whether it's a VP of sales or somebody else, whether they leave, they got fired, they uh, get shoved by a moving toy vehicle, whatever the family-friendly thing is here. Uh, you mm -hmm. just want to make sure your company can survive that and that you have a backup plan. Um, and maybe the one other thing I'd add is like, if they are leaving, you do want to be honest with yourself and try to figure out, is this something that's, you know, maybe specific to the person's circumstances, right? Like maybe they want to move cities or they're looking for, you know, they're not excited about what you're building anymore. But like, it's not because of what you're doing. It's because they're, you know, their mind changed or something. Or is it a problem that's like more, maybe something that you're causing or the company's causing or the environment's not healthy. Uh, and that's something that you should try to fix whether the person leaves or not. It is, it is true. I don't know any CEOs out there that have never in the back of their mind worried that like some, one day all the employees will decide just not to come to work and just go do something else. It's one of those reoccurring nightmares. Stop using a Ouija board in the evening, man. <laughs> <laughs> clean, up, clean up your activities that, clean that's up the your late life. night dj version of this <laughs> this is where oh, you paying man. people is a really great incentive to keep them coming in food on the table always helps <laughs> okay 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 let's keep going i know we have a lot of exciting things to say about vps of sales leaving but we want to answer more than one question in today's episode let's see nick what else is up in our question queue for today all right, let's do it. So a second question that we receive from a founder is the following. One of our customers makes up 40% of our revenue and is asking for things that are outside of our product slash business. How do we handle these requests? Ash, you want to kick things off? Sure. My concern is customer concentration. This is a common problem a lot of startups have, especially early on. It's likely that you're going to get one big customer if you're selling to the enterprise in particular, and that's going to be a big chunk of your revenue. And of course, they're going to ask for a bunch of stuff. I actually usually recommend saying no, mainly because the distraction and the strategic drift that this large customer can cause through your appeasement to their demands actually ends up hurting the majority of your future customers. 
not just what you're doing right now. So, you know, perhaps I try and think about it in a, in a different way. And that is rather than rescuing one large customer through a, uh, a series of feature requests, uh, think about how we can make them a much smaller piece of the pie and think longer term much beyond this any one customer. Now, all of that said, when Twilio IPO'd, they IPO'd with WhatsApp being a customer at about 20% of their revenue and Uber being about 10% of their revenue. So you can totally do this with a bunch of customer concentration. And by this, Ash means be successful, just to be perfectly clear with everyone, because we don't want all of you to do podcasts like we're doing, because that would create way too much competition for us. <laughs> there it is. <laughs> oh, man. Uh, Leah, what do you think, man? What you're thinking about customer concentration and the ad, what if your big customers start asking you for custom things? Yeah, I mean, I, I largely agree with Ash. I do think that concentration is a yes. risk in itself. <laughs> a- Ash keeps track of these things, by the way, Leo. So we're going to hear about this uh, a few weeks from now as well. <laughs> There's a chalkboard up in my bedroom. <laughs> That's right. And Ash, you said you'd pay me how much uh, if I agreed with you? I forget. <laughs> yeah, That's right. too good. Well, yeah, I mean, VC dollars, right? These, This is IRR dollars, <laughs> not DPI. Nice. So you'll pay me on paper, but I won't actually get anything for decades. <laughs> you get the promise. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, I, I think I, I generally agree. I think it's good to be hesitant about doing things for just one customer, unless you think other customers will want the same thing. Um, maybe the one thing I, I qualify with is like the goal with a startup is you want to build something repeatable and scalable and get to like a large business. And so sometimes these custom asks can be an opportunity that helps you get there, uh, right? So maybe if a customer, like if a big customer asks you for something and it wasn't on your roadmap, like you can just push back and say, hey, it's not on my roadmap. I don't want to work on this. It's just for you. But maybe there's an opportunity to ask other customers to see if that's something they want because maybe, you know, maybe you're discovering a need that you didn't know about before. Um, or, you know, maybe like this one customer is so important to you and you think they would churn if, you know, you didn't build what they want. Uh, but if you do keep them, like you can use them to land the next 50 customers. So those are some of the things that maybe are complicating factors here uh, that you know might make you more open to doing something custom for a large uh, whale customer. Uh, but in general, like Ash, I would be reluctant to do that unless I you know felt like there was a really really good reason to. Mm. It is 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 a serious question. Is money not a really 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 good reason? Let's say that they were willing to pay you to do these features, and um, I mean. A lot of these companies may pay you the equivalent of a small pre-seed round to do these things. Is money a good enough reason? Only if you want to be a consultancy. I think it's a mix. I think it's a double-edged sword. So obviously, like if you get a lot of money, that extends your runway. You could do, you know, attract more customers, get more hires. On the flip side, I've seen customers kind of crippled by this, where, like, for example, there was one company I worked with a while back where they had something like 10 million in revenue. And two of the customers were 8 million of that. And both, for different reasons, churned within a few months. And it was like not the company's fault. It was macro you know, factors. But the fact that you know out of their 100 customers, the two that churned were the ones that were 80% of revenue, it really, really hampered the companies to you know, retain employees and hire and, like, you know, and raise more money and uh, you know, pursue their roadmap. And so that's the kind of thing where you know, like that's a big risk you're taking where if you have a couple of customers, if they end up unhappy for whatever reason and they leave um, and they're most of your revenue, like you have to be prepared for that. And so it's nice to have that revenue, but if you're really dependent on it and it's a huge chunk and it's at risk, that's a dangerous place to be. 
That's fair. I, this And this wasn't in the question, but I am curious because I've never been in a position where I had a lot of concentration of one customer, but I ha- I was in a situation where there was one partner. Thank, that was thanks a big to your part. great skills, Sean, of navigating oh, yes, the sales my, process. Mm-hmm. It is quite amazing how good I am at just doing everything. Uh, I think Sean's just time. saying he's never landed a big sale. <laughs> oh, I mean, shots fired early, 14 minutes in. <laughs> that's why we have Leo on because I didn't get a hard enough time before. But I, I have been in a position. My shoulders have been aching. I'm glad someone else is here to carry the burden. <laughs> I have been in a position where a partner can was the 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 source of a majority of leads. And the partner did ask for things, which is a slightly different situation, right? You're not talking about concentration with just one customer, but specifically a channel you're using to acquire customers. Does that change your perspective, everyone, if it was a partner instead of a customer and that partner was a big chunk of your inbound? Depends a lot on the terms of the partnership for me, because oftentimes channel partners take a big chunk, right? The app store is 30%. You know, honestly, it feels pretty similar to me, which is, if you're going to have a bunch of partners and this partner is asking for things that other partners would want, that seems reasonable to focus on. Uh, if they're asking for things that only they would want, I'd be more reluctant. Um, again, the more the more revenue they drive, the more value there is there. Uh, especially if you know maybe you don't have a great relationship with the customers they bring you, and those customers might leave if the partner leaves. Like, but again, you know, you're maybe balancing some of these different risks here. Yeah, fair enough, fair enough. Okay, cool. Well, let's keep going down the question train. What do we have up next, Ash, on our queue of questions for today? Sure. Next question is, we keep seeing new competitors pop up all the time, including a few YC companies. How do we stay ahead of all these new startups? We keep seeing new competitors pop up all the time, including a few YC companies. How do we stay ahead of all these new startups? Well, out of all of us, Leo's invested in the most YC companies. So, Leo, what do you think? <laughs> Is that true, actually? <laughs> um, I, uh, you know, I, I do think there's kind of this cliche that you should just ignore competitors and focus on whatever you're doing. And, and I think like 90 plus percent of your attention should be on, you know, what you're doing, what you think is the right plan, et cetera. But, but I do think it's important to like just, you know, watch competitors a little bit and monitor them and see if like somebody's progressing really quickly. You know, so ten percent full Zuckerberg copy mode. <laughs> yeah, if you don't have stories for your app, you're going to fail. So um, I, I think, like, I guess, like the way I think about it is, you know, let's say there's ten competitors that are in your like, you know, competing for customers with you. Like, if one of them starts doubling every month for a few months, like you shouldn't just ignore that, right? Because they're doing something that's working, and it's working probably faster than everyone else in the space. And if you ignore it, like they'll just keep getting a lead. And so, like, maybe you should see what they're doing and react to it in whatever way is appropriate. Um, so like you should focus on your own ideas and your own roadmap, but like that doesn't mean you like you should intentionally ignore competition and not try to learn from whatever others are doing. Um, I do think there's different ways to stay ahead. Like one is sort of, you know, press and kind of the perceived traction or perceived position in the market, right? So when you land big customers, you put them on your website, you get press coverage, it makes you feel like, you know, you're, you're maybe emerging as a leader in the space, especially if other companies in your space don't have that kind of press coverage or customers. Um, you can double down on the depth of your product. Like maybe there's a bunch of different features and there's one you're really good at and you keep getting better and better at it and it's important to your customers. That'll be the kind of thing where no matter what the competition is doing, if they don't have your breadth, there's a bunch of customers that you know will want what you have. Uh, or maybe in parallel, like the opposite approach is going for breadth, 
right? Which is, you know, maybe your competitors are really good at something and you're kind of good, but at like 20 different things. And again, it's, it's almost, it's almost about not trying to compete head to head with people, but it's like, Hey, if somebody's going for a niche that wants something deep, like you focus on breadth and focus on everyone that doesn't want depth, or maybe you do the opposite, right? So you want to try to be in a place where there's some subset of customers, hopefully a large subset that would prefer you to everyone else. And you want to keep doubling down on your product so that those customers want what you have more and more. And so that set of customers expands more and more. Yeah, it's fair. I, I, I agree, Leo. Uh, it's much easier to agree with Leo than with Ash. So I'm glad that we have more people here <laughs> on the panel. Um, I, I think it's funny. At all of my companies, to the harassment. It's been that was what nineteen <laughs> minutes before that came back. And you guys oh. have been on such good behavior because we had a guest, but no, no, <laughs> couldn't make it all the way through one episode. Uh. <laughs> I um, it's at all of my companies. The way that I've known that things are working is that um, we started to see competitors pop up everywhere, and in fact. I think when you really made it at, for all my companies, every YC cohort, there was a, 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 a company that was going to kill us, like a, some, a flurry killer, an outlier killer. And so at some point, you know, I feel like competition is, is a badge of success. And so I think everything Leah mentioned is absolutely right. It's just, it's important to remember that competition follows opportunity. And so if you have a good opportunity, it's going to happen to you. It's not a question of if, it's just when. I do think that there is a risk that a lot of things Leo mentioned are on the merits. And if there's enough competitors, meaning like let's say there are hundreds of just like right now in the generative AI space, there's just so many companies. It's very possible that the sheer number of them can drown you out, that it, or the merits don't even matter anymore. There's just so many competitors out there making so much noise that nobody stands out and customers are confused and they want to wait for things to settle down. That kind of market chaos, it doesn't happen a lot, but it is a risk. If it happens to you, you have to find a way to kind of break through the noise. And maybe it's you're louder than they are. Maybe you focus on a part of the market that they don't go after. But I've definitely been there with some of my companies, especially during this is the current AI boom. There was a, a, a previous AI boom in 2017, 2018. And it was a similar cacophony of AI startups everywhere and AI does this and AI starts world hunger. And man, it was tough to really have your, to stand out in that market. And you just have to find a way to break through the noise. Cause you may have a product that's better than literally everybody else demonstrably. So, and if you can't stand out of the noise, it doesn't matter. You just kind of blend into the background with everybody else. And the world is full of examples of markets that are just absolute chaos like that. And podcasts too, by the way, um, but it's good. Everybody listens to our podcast because hard to stand out in the podcast market these days with so many podcasts floating around. <laughs> uh, good times. Okay. Well, we actually have time for two more. We're going to hit our lightning round. These are very fast questions that were thrown in. I'm looking to all of you, Leo, Ash, and Nick, 30-second answers to these questions as if this is a game show, but nobody wins. We all lose. Okay, first question. Should I be worried about more bank failures? It's early and it's almost mid-2023. We've seen a lot of bank failures so far this year. Should I be worried about my bank failures? Leo, go first. Tell us, should we worry? Yes. Okay, Ash. Well, both of my banks have failed in the last eight weeks, so I don't have any banks left. No more worries. (laughs) No money, no problems. What do you think, Nick? There it is. Yeah, I think that uh, just to stay true to the lightning round here, a yes is a good response here. There's uh, more risk ahead. 
And to be clear, but Ash's banks did not fail because Ash is a customer of them. I just want to be really clear. I am not the only reason. <laughs> uh, Ash, I was going to say, I hope you pick startups better than you pick banks. But <laughs> my bank also failed. So so you actually just let him that. go know in advance that he could just say whatever he wanted on on the recording. <laughs> Thanks, Sean. But my bank also failed, so you know I can't really say anything. Right. Oh, I was going to ask if you were at the sort of like... Uh, money stage where now you can just focus on decision making and, and blogging or are you still have to do investments? Oh <laughs> <laughs> uh, well if it makes you feel guys feel any better, um uh the entire crypto industry lost their banks. So entire industry lost their bank. Um okay, next question the lightning round. This isn't really lightning, so let's go. Are patents worth the investment, supposedly to avoid um risk of something? Leo, what do you think? Are patents worth it? My hunch is probably not. Uh, I think for deep tech, this might be different, but for a typical company, I just can't think of a lot of instances where a company I worked with either, you know, failed because they didn't have a patent or succeeded because they did have one. Um, I get the sense that they're very minor and a lot of hassle and cost. Okay. Ash, what do you think? No, I, I like the lawyers that I work with, but patents do not drive customer sales. They are for defense only. And you should probably wait until you have like your own in-house counsel before you get too worried about them. And Nick, what do you think? Patents? Yeah, it's a great way to look at it. I think hard sciences, deep tech, that are the few and far between examples of when it makes sense to pursue it early. Aside from that, focus on what matters. Talk to your customers, generate proof, generate sales, and then uh, leave the patents for a later stage. Fair enough. And going back to the theme of the episode, I mean, honestly, the risk of not having patents is not extremely high. And if you get sued, even if you have patents, the chance you can afford to defend yourself is also not very high. So... There we go. We wrapped it up. That was all about managing risk. It was awesome having you on, Leo. Thank you for joining us. Yeah, excited to be here. Thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. It was a lot of fun. We had such a good time. We will try to pull Leo back for a future episode to answer some more questions. As always, Nick and Ash, it was fantastic. Thank you for the wisdom. Absolute blast. And thanks so much, Leo. Much appreciated. Yeah, it was a good time, I suppose. <laughs> Ash, let's go find another bank to to put our money in. Uh, <laughs> There's some signaling it just, there. It is, we're going to end with harassment as we began. Perfect. Well, as a public service, we'll tell everyone else what bank it is so that they can try to avoid it. <laughs> That's right. Tune in next episode where we tell you the next bank to fail because somehow we know that. <laughs> Excellent. Well. The Startup Help Desk is now closed. We will be back in the future. If you have a question, please submit it on our website, thestartuphelpdesk.com or on Twitter at thestartuphd. But for now, you're on your own. Good luck in building your business.